Mountain Town, Rachel, by Ivory Harlow. I listen to this one, DIY guy, six foot one inch, brown hair, green eyes, English and Irish ancestry. Donor 17649 spends his time climbing, cycling, and racing motocross, Rachel read aloud from the Cryobank website. She sat on a stool with her laptop propped on the kitchen counter. She wore her long, brown hair in a braid. Her blue eyes scanned the next profile. Donor 19744 is a dentist. She gave running commentary of candidates while Miranda put away groceries. I want to see the dentist, Miranda requested. Rachel clicked the picture. Miranda peeked over Rachel's shoulder to size him up. I don't like the smug look on his face, Miranda said. I'm a sexy dentist daddy. Rachel gave an impromptu impersonation. They both burst into laughter. Miranda was Rachel's business partner and best friend. Unusual circumstances had brought them together. Kimber Keller was Miranda's husband and Rachel's boyfriend. Miranda hadn't been in contact with him in years when she learned he'd died in a rodeo accident and that she had inherited his 186-acre horse ranch in Mountain Town and took on his rodeo stock contract with a Mexican horse breeder. Shortly after, Miranda offered Rachel a job as Keller Ranch's office manager. Kimber's death was hard on Rachel for many reasons. She was in love with him and felt the relationship was her last chance to get married and have children. At age 37, Rachel's biological clock was ticking. She read that a woman's fertility declines after age 30, and plunges after 37. There is also a higher risk of pregnancy-related complications as she neared 40. When she disclosed her concern to Miranda, Miranda said, Heck, if you really want a family, why wait on a man? Go for kids without one if you're in a hurry. It is now or never she thought, and scheduled an appointment at a fertility clinic in San Antonio. The doctor ran tests to confirm she was a candidate, then referred her to a sperm bank. Buying sperm is a lot like buying stallion semen, Rachel was excited to tell Miranda what she'd learned at the clinic. She showed Miranda the human cryobank website, entering search parameters, height, hair, education level, and adding vials of semen to her cart. It costs $500 to $1,500 a vial. Well, that's cheaper than a stud horse, Miranda acknowledged. That's just for the sperm, not the intrauterine insemination, AUI, procedure. And there's no guarantee I'll get pregnant from IUI. Nevertheless, the doc thinks it's the best place to start because I'm healthy, have regular periods, and don't have a history of not being able to conceive. IUI is also cheaper, less painful, and less stressful than in vitro fertilization, IVF. What's the difference between IUI and IVF? Miranda asked. IUI is internal, the doc injects sperm directly into my uterus. IVF is external, the doc would take eggs from my ovaries and combine them with donor sperm in the lab, Rachel explained. She pulled out a stack of medical literature from the clinic and handed Miranda a brochure titled Let's Make a Baby. You're still sure you want to do this? She pointed to the picture of a mother holding a swaddled infant on the brochure cover. More than ever, Rachel confirmed. The doctor didn't blink when I told I'm 37 and single, and doing this on my own. Pictures of moms and their babies peppered her office walls. She pointed out a half-dozen women who were my age and single and wanted the same things I want. I know it won't be easy, but if they can do it, I can do it. 2. Cryobank shopping is similar to online dating, Rachel thought as she scrolled hundreds of sperm donor profiles. Living in Mountain Town made dating difficult. Rachel grew up in the small town and knew every eligible bachelor within 100 miles. She tried dating online. It wasn't a total bust. She met some men using Match and OkCupid, even went on a couple of dates, but none of the dates turned into relationships. Rachel met Kimber Keller at her former job as an administrative assistant at an insurance office. Kimber had just bought the ranch property. He sauntered into the office bow-legged, to her office to purchase farm insurance. 
She was instantly attracted to his lean, muscular frame. He had a great laugh and a confident smile. Her agent issued the policy that day, but Kimber kept finding reasons to come back to the office. She didn't realize he was hitting on her until her agent, Mr. Grosbeak, took it upon himself to set them up. Kimber was a professional bronc rider. At 39, he was ready to hang up his hat. He'd cashed in every penny of his rodeo winnings to buy the 186-acre ranch in Mountain Town. The property had a solid rock stable and good fencing, but he needed a commodity storage barn, a house, and a few critical pieces of equipment to make it a working ranch. He opted to spend more money on the pole barn with a farm office add-on. The next largest chunk went to horse trailers to transport the animals to and from rodeos across the state. Last, he bought a repoed single-wide to live in. It was twenty years old, but in good shape. When the ranch is profitable, I'll build a house fit for Southern Living magazine, he promised Rachel, but this will have to do for a few years. Kimber's bank account had gone from seven figures to five. I'm going to ride in a Frontier Days rodeo in Cheyenne this weekend, Kimber told Rachel. The payout is $25,000 for first place. The money will cushion my account until the contract kicks off in January. Cheyenne is not an awful drive, and I can stay with a buddy there, so travel won't take much out of my winnings. Rachel wished she could go with to cheer him on, but she had to work. Kimber said they'd spend some of his prize money on a nice dinner out Monday evening when he returned. Except he didn't. The accident snapped his neck. For a long time Rachel felt guilty she wasn't there for Kimber when he needed her, but she'd come to terms with it being for the best. Witnessing the accident would have haunted her. She'd also managed to get over the jealousy she felt when she met Miranda and discovered was married. He failed to mention his wife while they were dating. Miranda assured Rachel that their marriage was a drunken decision in Vegas during the national finals rodeo, but Rachel cared so deeply for Kim that the thought of him married to another woman turned her green with envy regardless. Miranda was doing Rachel a favor by hiring her when she got laid off from her job at the agency. Over time, she became more like a big sister than a boss. After a year together, Rachel felt silly for ever feeling threatened by her. Miranda went to bat for Rachel time and time again, as her business partner and best friend. She offered Rachel the spare bedroom of the trailer for free, so Rachel could funnel the money she was paying to rent an apartment in Mountain Town to IUI treatments. You'll also save gas money commuting between town and the ranch. Miranda made it sound practical, but Rachel knew she was going out on a limb to help her afford a baby. Plus, I can help you pull on your boots when you can't see your feet under your pregnant belly. The doctor told Rachel that a typical IUI cycle costs $500 to $4,000. Most women get pregnant with three to four cycles. That meant purchasing multiple vials of sperm. There would also be a copay to deliver the baby at the hospital. Rachel crunched the numbers and determined having a baby could cost her anywhere from $10,000 to $20,000. 3. Rachel started searching for a donor with Kimber in mind. A dark-haired, lean and limber man. She ended up choosing donor 16532, a 5 feet 9 inches, slim man with a light complexion. Ultimately, her decision came down to a few factors. Open ID donor. She wanted her kid to have the option of contacting the donor when and if he or she wanted to. The donor's age. 18-year-old college students just doing it do the money without thinking through the implications were a no-go. Clean medical history. He needed to seem like a good, happy, and reasonably intelligent person. Rachel added three vials of donor 16,532 to her cart, clicked buy, and shipped the sperm to the clinic in San Antonio. Rachel's doctor sent a prescription medication for her to take five days before her first IUI procedure. She drove to San Antonio the day before the procedure for a trigger shot. The procedure was seamless. Rachel was sure she was pregnant. Then, a week later, her period came. The second IUI procedure was also a bust. 
She had to delay the third IUI to haul a shipment of Bronx to Rodeo Houston. I don't know how many more times I can do this, she told Miranda on the road to Houston. Both times I totally convinced myself I was pregnant. I swear, my body feels pregnant. It crushes me when I'm not. It's psychologically draining. Rachel sighed as she looked out the passenger window. I know you're frustrated. But do you remember the doctor saying IUI is rarely one and done? That's true. But the FAQ also said something like 90% of IUI pregnancies occur in the first three IUI cycles. That'll be my next cycle. Well, maybe you'll be in that 90%. What if I'm not? Rachel said with desperation. I've already sunk so much hope and money into this. Then you owe it to yourself to at least see it through. You bought three vials, right? Yes. Three vials, three treatments, then take a break, Miranda suggested. If it's meant to be, then it will happen. 4. Despite years traveling the rodeo circuit as a trick rider, Miranda had never been to Rodeo Houston. It was an elite event that lasted 20 days. There were tournament-style competitions in bronc riding, bareback riding, bull riding, steer wrestling, barrel racing, tie-down roping, team roping, and breakaway roping. Each event requires different animals, which made for a very congested drop-off at the staging facility. Miranda got in line and turned off the truck engine. It wasn't worth wasting fuel. She rolled down the windows to let in the smell of hay, dust, and sweet feed. The women scrolled their phones to pass time. Miranda didn't notice a tall cowboy wearing a black Stetson approach the driver's side window. Howdy ladies, he said. Miranda and Rachel jumped to attention. Sorry. I didn't mean to startle you. He tipped his hat at Rachel, his stark black eyes locked on hers. Bucking Bronx. He squinted to see what kind of stock they were hauling. Yes sir. Miranda confirmed. Y'all work for Don. We are his subcontractors. We own and operate Keller Ranch in Mountain Town, Miranda said. I've heard of it. He smiled. You've won some pretty big awards. They did most of the work, Miranda nodded to the stock trailer. The cowboy chuckled. Miranda glanced at Rachel to give her an opportunity to join the conversation, but the cowboy's good looks had Rachel tongue-tied. My name is Jake. I'm a pickup man for Rodeo Houston. I got tired of waiting in this line. I left my partner snoozing in the truck while I scope out what we'll be working with. He nodded towards a truck and trailer setup ahead of theirs in line. Rachel had gotten her bearing and her red face had reduced to a sweet blush. I'm Rachel and this is Miranda, she said. It's nice to meet you. The pleasure is mine. He emphasized the word pleasure and caught Rachel's eye again. Looks like the line is moving. He tapped his knuckles on the truck door. I look forward to seeing you again. He stepped aside to allow Miranda to move forward. What's a pickup man? Rachel asked Miranda when they were out of earshot. A man that just tried to pick you up, Miranda teased. No really. What is it? A pickup man is the cowboy who swoops in and saves the rider. They either help the rider dismount safety after an eight-second ride, or get him out of the way of danger if he's bucked off prematurely. Then, he gets the bronc through the outgate, Miranda explained. Pickup men have to be all-around cowboys because they aid just about every event. Most of the ones I've known performed in multiple rodeo events before they became pickup men. It takes skill mastery to do well, Miranda said. Lives depend on the pickup man. Rachel liked the idea that the handsome cowboy was also steadfast, trustworthy, and reliable. When it was Miranda's turn to unload, she pulled the trailer to the holding pen. The horses were eager to get out after the long drive, but it wasn't their first rodeo, they knew the drill, and that fresh food and water depended on them behaving themselves. They had only unloaded for Bronx when a stray steer plowed through the drop-off area and charged through the holding pen fence, leaving a gaping hole. The ordeal spooked their stock. 
Rachel acted quickly, pushing the trailer door shut to keep the loaded animals from rearing out. Miranda rushed to the broken fence to block the unloaded animals from escaping. Rachel pointed to a spare corral gate propped against the side of the lean-to. We can use that to block the hole, she shouted and ran to retrieve the gate while Miranda guarded the hole. Rachel retrieved it. Miranda held it in place while Rachel grabbed two lead ropes from the back seat of their truck. They tied the gate in place. That'll do for now, Miranda said. Good job, girl. Rachel was out of breath, but she managed to smile. Let's see about that steer before we unload the others, Miranda suggested. They followed the sound of whoops and hollering. Rachel instantly recognized Jake wrestling the steer. He grabbed its horns and pulled it off balance before pushing its nose to the ground. The steer stumbled. Jake pinned the steer. Another cowboy tossed him a rope. Jake tied his legs, rendering him immobile. After wreaking havoc on the entire facility, the steer was too tired to fight to stand back up. The man who tossed Jake the rope trotted over with sturdy tack to lead the steer back his pen. Another man helped Jake to his feet and shook his hand. Jake had lost his hat when he forced down the steer. He picked it off the ground and dusted it off before placing it back on top of his mess of wavy black hair. The impromptu audience erupted in applause. Jake beamed a big smile and gave a little bow. Just wow, Rachel said. Miranda waggled her eyebrows to agree. She'd seen hundreds of rodeos and thousands of cowboys. Jake's performance even impressed her. The girls returned to their rig and finished unloading. I latched the hitch while you sign the paperwork, she said to Miranda and walked to the back of the trailer. She spotted Jake walking towards her. She waved a friendly hello. I saw you handle the steer back there. That was amazing. Oh thanks, he said. It was nothing. I was a roper when I was a nimble young man, he said in a self-deprecating way. He looked younger than her. She wondered how young he was. Makes me miss the good old days. Well, you still got it. She smiled. I saw that steer bust through your pen. Are all your animals accounted for? Yes. We hedged them off, she pointed to their makeshift repair job. I'll ask the facility manager to do a permanent fix before they close the staging facility. If his crew is too busy unloading, I'll ask him for materials and do it myself. We appreciate it. They fell into an easy conversation. Rachel didn't notice Miranda had returned until she was standing a few feet away with a smirk on her face. Well, if it isn't the champion, she patted Jake on the back. Good show today, cowboy. Jake relished Miranda's praise. Are y'all staying in town for the rodeo? He asked. We'll watch round one tonight. Then we'll be back to pick up the animals after the Super Series, Rachel said. Will you work the entire 20 days? I'll be in Houston the whole time, but I won't work every night. Four of us rotate to make sure we're well rested. I'm riding tonight though, he said. We'll be cheering for you, Miranda said, then turned to Rachel. That long drive wore me out. I'm going to go to the hotel and take a nap. Rachel could tell by the way Miranda was looking at her she thought Rachel should spend the day with the cowboy, alone. It was clear to Miranda and Rachel and Jake they were attracted to one another and enjoying each other's company. Miranda knew Rachel would not abandon her to hang out with some cowboy unless she pushed. I'll drop you off at the hotel. I'm going to get something to eat, I'm starving, Rachel said to confirm she understood she had Miranda's support. She turned to Jake. What's good around here? If you want to eat the best waffle fries of your life, I know the perfect place. I can drop you off at the hotel before the rodeo, Jake offered. That way Miranda can take her truck to the hotel and get some beauty rest, he winked. Are you sure you don't want to join us for waffle fries? Rachel asked Miranda. Are you kidding? I have to fit in my skinny wranglers tonight. I'll pass. You kids have fun, she said, jangling her keys, see you later. V. Jake and Rachel ate a leisurely lunch at Burger Joint.
The waffle fries lived up to their reputation. I can't believe they make their own ketchup, Rachel said. What more could a girl ask for? I eat here every time I'm in Houston, Jake said. There's nothing like this in Mineola, Kansas. We have a good pizza place, but its hours are hit or miss. Rachel chuckled. Sounds like mountain town. Most restaurants close early on Sunday and don't open again until Wednesday morning. I guess I'm used to small town living and its slower pace. I grew up there. She turned the conversation to Jake. How about you? Did you grow up in Kansas? Yup. Born and raised in Mineola, Kansas. It's a little town about a half hour south of Dodge City. Did you grow up on a ranch? More like a hobby farm. My folks' homestead is 22 acres, enough land to have horses. I started competing in rodeo in high school and got hooked, he reminisced. I keep a couple working horses on the property, plus my kids' ponies. Rachel felt his eyes studying her for a reaction to the words, my kids. He was well aware kids were a deal breaker for a lot of women. How old are your kids? Lance is eight and Ruby turns six next month. You must miss them when you are on the road. I took a break from rodeo when I got custody. I took a steady job with a local rancher. I manage a 5,000 head cattle operation outside of Dodge. It killed me to be stationary, but I needed the stability as a single dad, he explained. But you're back on the road now. Rachel pointed out. I only run the circuit during the slow season on the ranch, Jake explained. I reckon I can't call myself a single dad because my parents are a daily fixture in the kids' lives. Even when I'm home, working 8 to 5, my mom picks them up from the school bus. The kids do evening barn chores with my dad. He takes them fishing. They like to tinker with him in the garage on weekends. Jake didn't offer information about the kid's mom, and she didn't feel like she knew him well enough to ask. She didn't bring the topic up, despite her curiosity. After lunch, they had a couple of hours to kill before the rodeo. Jake gave Rachel a behind-the-scenes tour of the arena. He introduced her to fellow riders and exhibitors. He knew everyone by name. I love rodeos because they are big reunions. I get to see friends from Oregon to Florida in one time and place. Thanks for introducing me. Knowing contestants will make watching the show more fun tonight, Rachel said when Jake dropped her off at her hotel. I'll look for you in the stands, he winked. They exchanged cell numbers. Rachel's phone buzzed with a text before she got to her room. Can I take you out on a proper date when you're back in Houston? Rachel typed back, looking forward to it with a smiley face emoji. A round of applause for our pickup men, the announcer's voice boomed. The sound engineer blasted the song Pickup Man by Joe Diffie as Jake Cotasaros and his partner galloped around the ring. Rachel's eyes were glued to Jake the entire night. He looked gallant, riding alongside the bucking horse, scooping up and saving cowboys. His heroism made her heart skip a beat. 6. Work was slow when Rachel and Miranda returned to Mountain Town. Most of their stock stayed at Rodeo Houston for three weeks. Rachel planned to inventory supplies and catch up on bookkeeping, but she couldn't concentrate. Jake and she texted and talked on the phone every day. He sent her a picture of an eight-inch bruise on his side from a rider who'd accidentally flung his arm into Jake during dismount. Rachel studied the picture from every angle, ignoring the bruise to stare at Jake's abs and olive skin. I have two days off in a row this week. Any chance I can talk you into coming to Houston for the weekend, he texted. I think you should go, Miranda said. I'm already taking off two days for my last IUI treatment in San Antonio next week, Rachel said. Perfect. Houston is only three hours from San Antonio, Miranda encouraged her. That'd mean I'll be gone for five days, Rachel contested. Now is the perfect time to get away. Most of the stock is gone. I can manage the ranch. You won't miss me. She frowned. I will when I power wash the livestock trailer and muck the stalls clean. Miranda teased. 
Well, if you insist, Rachel sighed playfully. I'll go on to Houston after San Antonio. Go get him, Tiger, Miranda roared. Rachel rolled her eyes. Six. Houston turned out to be a great distraction. She breezed through her last IUI treatment without stewing on if it resulted in pregnancy. Rachel pushed the thought of pregnancy to the back of her mind to focus on having fun with Jake. Well, look who it is. Jake embraced Rachel in an enormous hug, lifting her out of her truck and holding her for a moment before he set her on the ground. Jake and friends secured Astros tickets for a game against the Yankees. Minute Maid Stadium was impressive, but their seats along the third base line made the view even more spectacular. These are great seats. Thanks for inviting me, Rachel said between innings. I'm having a great time too. The only problem is you keep distracting me from the game, Jake joked. They were sharing an order of nachos. Rachel reached up to wipe a dollop of nacho cheese off Jake's lip. Did cheese ruin the moment, he flirted. As far as Rachel was concerned, nothing could ruin a moment filled with spring air, baseball, nachos, and Jake Cotasaros. After the game, the crew of cowboys went to a downtown brewery known for its beer, pizza, and mini-golf. The more time she spent with Jake and his friends, the more she liked them. They were making plans for the next day when she dropped them off at their RV that night. Rachel had hoped to spend some time alone with Jake while she was in Houston, but she would go along with whatever Jake wanted to do. I'll talk to you later, Jake said as the cowboys piled out of her truck. Sounds good. She waved goodbye and drove a few blocks to her hotel. Rachel was in the habit of splurging on a nice hotel when she traveled. It was Miranda's influence. Miranda said if they had to stay somewhere, they were going to do it in fluffy white robes and slippers. Miranda was a dichotomy, she was both rough and tumble cowgirl and a glamour girl. She told Rachel, I don't mind getting dirty if I can sink into a bubble bath after. Rachel's suite had a lush king-size bed and a garden tub with jets. She ran a bath and soaked up to her neck. After an hour, she dried off, put on pajamas, and checked her phone. Missed call from Jake. Sorry I was in the bath, she texted back. Oh. I'm the one who's sorry. To have missed it. He wrote back with a bubble emoji. Everyone is going to the movies and Galleria shopping tomorrow. I thought we'd spend the day together instead. Rachel texted back a thumbs up. Okay. I'll come get you for breakfast tomorrow morning. You didn't say what we are doing. It's a surprise. I love surprises. Good night. She couldn't keep from smiling. A warm glow filled her cheeks as she lingered over his words, smitten. 7. Jake greeted Rachel in the hotel lobby. She didn't know what the day's agenda was, so she dressed in her standard uniform of jeans and t-shirt. Good morning, beautiful, Jake greeted her. There is a coffee shop around the corner, he said, doing an about face and extending his arm to her. The coffee shop was posh, with dark wood floors and contemporary minimalist decor. Rachel felt self-conscious wearing cowboy boots amidst the long line of skirts and suits going to work in downtown Houston. Jake didn't seem to notice. He fixed his attention on her. The temperature was already in the mid-fifties. They sat at a patio bistro and enjoyed their coffees and breakfast sandwiches. I was skeptical of the turkey sausage, but it wasn't bad, Jake said. My six-dollar bagel was worth every penny, Rachel bantered back. He had a way of making her feel comfortable, whether it was a champagne brunch or chuck wagon. Jake glanced at his watch. We'd better go. Our reservation is at 10 a.m. A half hour later they were boarding the Bayou Ranger two-pontoon boat for a tour of the Armand and Horsepen bayous. They passed through wetland forests, prairie, and marsh habitats. They saw a craggly old alligator. Jake recoiled at the sight of the gator. I'm not in Kansas anymore. He said, quoting Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, that gator makes me regret booking our next activity. Let me guess, gator wrestling. Rachel said, not quite. 
Steer wrestling is one thing. I'm not sure my skills apply to gators. I think you could take that one, Rachel pointed at the oversized lizard. He's not any bigger than a steer. Pinning that steer was just a ploy to impress you, he admitted, and leaned in for their first kiss. By noon, the temperature had reached 72 degrees, but the sun and humidity made it feel warmer. They walked along the boardwalk, wary of alligators. Fortunately, they didn't see anything more threatening than a roseate spoonbill and great blue heron waiting in the water. They grabbed lunch at a seafood dive near the bayou. They split an order of fried oysters, then feasted on all-you-can-eat catfish. Rachel told Jake how she got into the stock business while they waited for the server to refill their drinks. Miranda's husband was a bronc rider. I dated him before he was killed in a rodeo accident. Miranda inherited his ranch, and I went to work for her. Wow, that sounds like a soap opera. I know. In my defense, I didn't know he was married to Miranda. They hadn't been in contact in years before the accident, she explained. When I got laid off from my job at an insurance agency Miranda offered me a job managing Keller Ranch. I can tell y'all are close. She's the big sister I always wanted. Miranda encourages me to go after what I want. Rachel hesitated to tell Jake about her fertility treatments, worried it'd put him off. But at the speed things were progressing between them, she figured it was best to get it out in the open. Miranda offered to help me, both financially and emotionally, when I decided to try and start a family on my own. I'm getting intrauterine insemination fertility treatments. What's that? Jake's face and tone were curious, not repulsed. Using a sperm donor to conceive, Rachel explained. I'm 37, and I want to have children while I can. I get it. Raising my kids on my own has been challenging, but it's also been the best and most rewarding thing I've done. A sense of relief washed over Rachel. If this is too personal a question, I understand, but what happened to Lance and Ruby's mom? Jake took a moment to stir his sweet tea with his straw before answering. She left us when Ruby was six months old. I've only seen her once since, at the courthouse to sign the paperwork relinquishing custody. Rachel gasped and instinctively covered her hand with her mouth. She couldn't imagine why a woman would abandon her kids. Jake looked pained. I'm so sorry. We were high school sweethearts. We had a fantasy about marriage that didn't pan out. That said, I don't think it was a matter of sowing her wild oats. She changed. I don't know what happened. I don't think I ever will. Rachel reached across the table and took Jake's hand. It was five and a half years ago. Old news. Still painful though. Painful because I see her in them. Painful because they'll never know the version of her I knew when she was young and carefree. And painful because they'll know she abandoned us and I can't make it better. It sounds like you are doing everything you can to give them a great life. I am. And my parents. The kids know we love them. He smiled. Isn't it ironic how people like you go to great lengths to have kids while other people up and leave theirs? Jake asked. Rachel was thinking the same thing, but didn't feel comfortable calling attention to his ex's shortcomings. She was the mother of his kids. Later that afternoon, they met up with Jake's friends to do an escape room. His friends picked the most difficult prison break theme. Having eight players made it extra fun. They split the group into two and placed them in different cells. They had to work together to get out. After the escape room, Jake's friend recommended a country-western bar with live music in the heart of downtown Houston. The place was packed by 9 p.m. Rachel drank and danced the night away. When Jake wasn't dancing beside her, she felt him watching her. She lost sight of him while lying dancing to the get-up. When the song ended, she scanned the crowd, trying to make out his black hat from the sea of Stetsons. Then she felt his arms on her waist. Rachel turned around to face him and fell hard into his dark eyes. He kissed her on the dance floor. When the music cranked back up, he pulled away, took her hand, and led her to the patio. It's not too cold out here for you. Jake asked. 
Rachel shook her head. The chilly night air felt pleasant. The patio lights cast a glow that warmed her, or maybe it was warmth from the rush of falling in love. Either way, she was content to be with him, away from the lights and music and people. The past couple of days have been awesome. Rachel told him. Agreed. I can't believe I was nervous to ask you to come to Houston. You, nervous. She elbowed him in the ribs. He wrapped his arms around her. You make me nervous, he smiled shyly. I really like you. I really like you too. She leaned into him, ready for another round. Jake motioned towards the dance hall. Actually, I'm tuckered out. I'll text the others that we are calling it a night. If I know them, they'll close the place down. Jake held her hand as they walked to the truck. He opened the passenger door and helped her in. They drove over the bayou they'd toured earlier. The moon was full and bright, it reflected off the water. Usually she had a hard time understanding why anyone would choose to live in the city, but Houston's sparkling lights and skyline were breathtakingly beautiful. As they neared her hotel, Jake asked, Will I see you tomorrow before you head home? I guess that depends what time you leave my hotel room, Rachel answered. Jake took the not-so-subtle hint and pulled into the parking garage. 7. Rachel returned to Mountain Town for a week before she and Miranda had to pick up the horses from Rodeo Houston. Each morning she woke feeling giddy and lighthearted. Miranda said she stumbled around in a love stupor all day. Rachel would see Jake when they picked up their stock, but he'd be working at the staging facility. He regretted not having time to spend with her, and invited her to come stay with him at his home in Kansas in April, after dropping stock at the San Angelo Stock Show and Rodeo. April was only a month away, but felt like a world away. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, Miranda commented. Rachel was not sure she agreed. Right now, pining for Jake made her feel sad and lonely. She felt tired and moody, and struggled to put on a happy face for Miranda while working and living together at the ranch. Because of the high elevation, mountain towns stayed cooler, longer than other parts of the state. April Fool's Day was the first day Rachel didn't wear a jacket to the barn. The red buds were in bloom, producing rose-purple flowers in small clusters along the bare branches. When the horse went to a new pasture, they bucked wildly with delight and savored the fresh sprouts of green grass. As much as Rachel wished to feel as spunky as the Bronx, spring had her allergies in turmoil. She felt like crap. It did not surprise her when she missed her period. She searched the bathroom cabinet and found one pregnancy test left over from her previous IUI treatments. The test showed two deep distinct colored lines. She swallowed the lump in her throat and texted Miranda in the barn that she was running to town. Rachel raced to the pharmacy to buy more tests. Miranda was in the kitchen eating a sandwich when she returned. She threw her keys on the table and rushed to the bathroom. A few minutes later, Rachel emerged. She stared blankly at Miranda. You look like you've seen a ghost, Miranda said. I've seen a positive pregnancy test. OMG. Congrats. Miranda cheered. Except you don't look excited. Rachel burst into tears. Damn it, she sniffed. I don't know if the donor or Jake is the father. She used her sleeve to wipe her face. Oh boy, Miranda groaned. Right. Rachel plopped herself on the sofa and hugged a pillow to her stomach. Miranda went and sat beside her. Dumb question. Miranda said. How can you be sure? I don't know. She covered her face with her hands. Dumber question. If I said Jake, would you think I was having a happily ever after fantasy? Rachel asked. No. But I would encourage you to guard your heart and remind you it might not be his happily ever after fantasy, she warned. I don't get the sense he's a man that scares easily. In fact, I don't think you could run him off if you wanted. She patted Rachel's leg. Rachel held her phone to her face and asked, Alexa, when can a pregnant woman test paternity? DNA testing can be done as early as the end of the first trimester of pregnancy, 
starting any time after the eighth week. That's about the time you'll be in Kansas, Miranda's wheels were turning. You could get the test done there, if Jake agrees to the test. Or you can contact the cryobank to get the donor's genetic test results and get the test done in Mountain Town, Miranda calculated. Either way, you can find out who the father is. I made a mess of things, didn't I? Rachel said and laid down on the couch. Miranda rubbed Rachel's back for comfort. Why don't you take today off to think this through? I'll go to the barn to give you some space, Miranda said. She started to walk out the door, but turned and linger in the doorway. I know this feels heavy now. But remember, no matter what happens with the men, in the end you'll have the beautiful baby you wanted. Thank you for everything. Rachel took a deep breath. She laid on the couch, feeling her heart beat in her chest and sensing another faint heartbeat growing inside her. 8. Rachel called the fertility clinic and spoke with her doctor. The doctor told her that there was no way to know for sure before the paternity test at 8 weeks, but since she had been taking letrozole and had the trigger shot 24 hours before IUI, there was a good chance the IUI was a success. On average, a EUI has a 20% success rate in standard intercourse less than 10%, the doctor advised. The information did little to put Rachel at ease when she called Jake to tell him the news. She thought about canceling her trip to Dodge and getting the paternity test in Mountain Town as Miranda suggested. Then she could tell Jake facts instead of speculations. She considered Jake might not want to continue their relationship knowing she was pregnant, regardless of whose child it was. At least telling him now would get it out in the open and potentially save her from heartache later on. Rachel waited to call until she knew Jake would be alone, driving home from work. I'm pregnant, she said after their obligatory greetings. Silence. Hold on a sec, Ratch, I'm pulling over, Jake said. Rachel held her breath. He returned to the phone. That's good news, right? That's why you were going to the fertility clinic for treatments. Yes, but, well, I guess it caught me off guard. Jake burst out laughing. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. But you are getting fertility treatments but not expecting to get pregnant. Tears filled her eyes. She didn't think her ignorance was funny. It annoyed her. Rachel hated feeling this emotional. She covered the phone speaker to hide her sniffles. Ratch, I'm here. She felt her phone vibrate and saw an incoming FaceTime from Jake. Pick up your other line. I want to see you. She reluctantly did as he said, thinking it'd be harder to keep it together looking in his eyes. I thought you'd be happy. Jake saw the tears welling in her eyes. I wish I was there to hold you. Rachel swallowed her fear and forced the words she needed to say, I had a UI right before I came to Houston, before we were together. The fertility doctor seems to think the IUI was a success. You paid her. And she did the treatment. Of course she thinks it was the IUI, Jake said. What do you think? I feel so overwhelmed right now I don't trust myself to think, Rachel answered truthfully. If you're willing, we can get a non-invasive prenatal paternity test at eight weeks. When I'm in Kansas with you. Of course I'm willing, he confirmed. Paternity is something we should clarify, but it won't change how I feel about you, Jake assured her. I hope it doesn't change how you feel about me. He paused. You are going to be a great mom. I hope you let me walk beside you during the pregnancy, no matter what. I'm falling for you Rachel. This doesn't change that. Rachel studied his expression on her phone. She smiled at the steadfast, trustworthy, and reliable pickup man swooping in to save her. Rachel felt her shoulders relax. Tell me it's going to be fine. Jake leaned towards the camera. Everything is going to be alright, he said and kissed the screen. 9. The drive from San Angelo to Mineola, Kansas, was supposed to take seven and a half hours, but pregnancy made it impossible to drive longer than two hours without a pregnant woman taking a bathroom break, so it took over eight. Mineola rested on the high plains. The landscape was starkly different from what Rachel was used to seeing in Mountain Town, dominated by open flatlands and gently rolling hills.
It started raining during her last leg of the journey. Jake had told her about the sweet smell of rain on high plains. It makes the whole world smell like fresh mowed hay. Rachel rolled down her window to experience it herself. Jake's hometown was exactly as he described it. Sleepy, with tidy streets, an old-fashioned drugstore, and a cute city park. She passed the elementary, wondering if it was where Jake's kids went to school. He told her they were staying at his parents' house tonight. I thought it'd be nice to have an evening alone together before meeting my parents and getting bombarded by my kids. He instructed her to drive through past the gate and veer to the left. His house was a ranch-style home with a metal roof and wraparound porch. He was standing on the porch waving within seconds of her texting that she'd arrived. He trotted to the truck, opened her door and lifted her into his arms, just like he had in Houston. At that moment, she felt overwhelmed with desire for the baby to be his. They spent the evening in each other's arms. They planned to meet at his parents' home for brunch the next morning. I didn't tell them about the pregnancy. I didn't feel like it was my information to share. Plus, the minute my mom finds out you're pregnant, she'll go into mother hen overdrive. Thanks for not saying anything, Rachel laughed. Let's cross that bridge when we get there. Jake had his father's hair and height. He had his mother's dark, warm, and inviting eyes. Jake's mom was also a hugger. It's because we are Greek, she said, squeezing Rachel. She uses our heritage to justify her smothering behavior, Jake warned. It's protection, not oppression, she swatted at him, defending herself. Jake's son, Lance, was tall for the tender age of eight. When Rachel mentioned it, Lance insisted he had to be tall to be a great pitcher like Garrett Cole. Lance's face lit up. Do you like baseball? I like ballpark hot dogs, Rachel said. Oh. Especially footlongs. Ruby perked up. You're a girl after my heart. Rachel said. She always gets a foot long and eats three bites before she's full, Jake frowned. I'm sharing it with you, Daddy, she said and climbed into his lap. Whatever, he teased and tousled her hair. I got a game today at 3 p.m. Are you coming to watch Rachel? Lance asked. I wouldn't miss it for anything. X. After two weeks in Kansas with Jake, Rachel felt like part of the Cotisaros family. Formalities had worn away, leaving an easy coexistence between the households. Jake and his father went to work on weekdays. Lance was in school until 2.30 p.m. and Ruby had half days in pre-K, which gave Rachel plenty of time to have coffee with Mrs. Cotisaros and then help with house chores. Ruby was full of energy when she got off the bus at noon. They had lunch together, then Rachel took her outside to burn off some energy. They walked down the gravel driveway together to meet Lance's bus at 3 p.m. After a few days, Lance was used to the routine. Rachel caught him trying to spot them through the bus window as it approached the drive. He waved enthusiastically when he saw them, she and Rudy smiled and waved back. Rachel felt a pang of guilt, knowing he'd miss seeing her when she went back to Mountain Town. She knew her fear was irrational. His grandmother would once again care for them after school. But she recognized the kids' longing for more in their unabashed attachment to her as a makeshift mother. She knew she should try to distance herself for their sake, as well as her own. After all, she and Jake had only recently begun dating. Though he professed their relationship wouldn't change if the baby she was carrying was the donor's, she could not believe that would be the case. Rachel made an appointment for prenatal DNA paternity testing in Dodge City. Jake took the day off from work. The nurse collected Rachel's DNA with a blood draw and Jake's using a cheek swab. The test took less than 30 minutes, Rachel held her breath the entire time. She explained they would test the baby's free-floating DNA. Test results would be emailed to both of them in 72 hours. We'll find out the day you return to Mountain Town, Jake said solemnly. They were home in time to get Lance off the bus together. The kids were delighted Dad was home on a weekday. The four of them held hands and created a human swing as they walked down the driveway to the house. 
Jake and Rachel made eyes at each other as they pretended to listen to Lance rattle off multiplication tables he was learning in third grade. Ruby interrupted, proclaiming she was too tired to walk and needed daddy to carry her. Jake had worried that the kid's neediness would scare Rachel off. But it had the opposite effect. She loved feeling like part of their family. Getting to know Jake as their father only deepened her appreciation of him as a person. The nurse said to expect the results Monday morning, but didn't give a time. As a result, Rachel woke three times after midnight to check her email. Her inbox was still empty when she said goodbye to the kids and put them on the bus for school. Lance hung his head and Ruby clung to her. She checked email again before Jake left for work. Still empty. I wish you could stay with me, he kissed her goodbye before heading off to work. Me too, Rachel said, lingering in his arms. Her bond with his family made it even harder to leave him than when she was leaving him love-struck in Houston. Call me if you get sleepy on the road. He kissed her forehead. Otherwise I'll call you when I get the email, Jake said and headed to work. Rachel set out little gifts for Ruby and Lance to discover that evening when they returned home from school. She packed the pictures they'd drawn for her in her suitcase and rolled it to her car. She had just opened the trunk when she heard tires displacing gravel on the driveway. Rachel looked up to see Jake's truck kicking up dust. He jumped out in a hurry, holding up his phone. Did you get it? He shouted. She opened the email app immediately and saw the clinic's name on an email with an attachment. She looked at Jake, afraid to open it. Open it. He waved his arms wildly, a broad smile spread across his face. Case reference, J8362. April 30, 2023. Paternity test certificate. By order of Rachel Richardson we were requested to perform a paternity test. Following individuals were examined, Rachel Richardson, mother, Jacob Cotasaro's alleged father, child. Regarding the sampling of the participants please refer to the protocols in copy. We received the originals of the identity confirmations and of the consent statements. In all analyzed systems, Jacob Cotasaros does show the genetic markers which have to be present for the biological father of the child. The probability of Mr. Jacob Cotasaros being the biological father of child is greater than 99.9999%. Conclusion Based on our analysis, it is practically proven that Mr. Jacob Cotasaros is the biological father of the child.